the big tech companies, they, they know about this stuff and they're trying to fix some of those problems, but I don't think we can wait. Milwaukee for the last 10 years has been creating 150 experiences a year to help you find your belonging. You might not come to all of our events, which I'm sure most of you don't, but you come to one or two of them a year out of these 150, 180 programs we create because you find something in that and that's how you belong. And this event is, is, is kind of the thing that we've been talking with John about and where we go from there, but then we met Amanda for, well, Amanda, my business partner for Nuance, and then we talked to Aurora Healthcare, and everybody was all in. They're the sponsor of this event, and they're like, let's, let's have a couple of these conversations. Let's not just do it once. Let's have more conversations about how we disconnect, how do we meet one another not over social media, and how do we build meaningful relationships. So if I was to ask you and everyone in the audience, who are the five people you can trust in your life, could you name those five? And that's where we're going. We're going to how many people can be on your social media account that might like your thing, but not might be your friend in person. And we think by having an event like this and having these critical conversations and having someone like Lincoln tonight, who probably might work 23 hours a day, something like that, <laughs> all the things you're starting, how do you disconnect? How do you get offline? And how do you connect to the community, which you've created kind of an epicenter for that? So. Without further ado, I'm going to introduce Jan John Zorowski, who is a, a best-selling author of, of Sprint and Make Time. He worked for Google Ventures. He's from a small town called Green Lake. Has anybody heard of Green Lake? Yeah, he's, he's like a town of like two people, I think. <laughs> Except in the summer, then it's like 30,000. <laughs> but he's back in Milwaukee now. He wants to make it happen here, so I'm going to let him take over the rest of the, the, rest of the show here. Thank you, everybody. I'm such a dark that I brought my own timer. Make sure that we don't go over time. So I'm going to set it. What time is it? All right. Um, so I worked in the tech industry for about 15 years. And as Jeremy mentioned, the sort of the great promise of digital technology is that it would make us more connected, connected to each other, connected to the things that we care about, to our communities. But that's that's not really happening. Um, by any measure, people today are, are lonelier and more disconnected than they've ever been in the time that these things have, have been you know, sort of measured. Um, there's research showing that the more social we are online, the less social we are offline, right? So these technologies are not supporting social activity, they're replacing them. And as you're probably too well aware, social media is at the center of a lot of very serious social problems. You know, we've got hate speech, fake news, we've got vicious political debates that are unhelpful and unproductive. Um, the, the big tech companies, they, they know about this stuff and they're trying to fix some of those problems, but I don't think we can wait. I don't think we can wait for the tech companies to fix these things. I think that if we wanna feel more connected and we want to feel like we belong in our communities, then we need to make the change ourselves. And so that's why we're here. I don't know what the solution is to that problem, uh, but I'm pretty sure that having a conversation is a great first step. So I'm really excited that you all chose to be here. Um, I know that there are a million things you could be doing right now, but you decided 
to come and spend some time with us talking about this. Perhaps you're regretting that decision now that you're here, I don't know, but you're, you know, you're kind of stuck for at least the next 40 or so minutes. Um, we're gonna talk up here for about 40 minutes um, and uh, feel free to ask a question or contribute at any time. Uh, the only thing I'll ask is that if you wanna, uh, if you wanna contribute, just kind of put up your hand or, or wave or something because I, I wanna make sure that I can repeat what you say so that it goes on the recording. Um, a bunch of people have asked me why we're doing this, why I'm doing this, why I care about this. And part of it is about starting that conversation that I mentioned. Um, but I have, I have a really simple goal for tonight's event. Um, after you leave tonight, in the, the days and the weeks ahead, I, there's just one thing that I want you to try, one thing. And it's to use technology to support human connection not to replace it. So the next time you get a text, you get a chat, you get a, even an Instagram comment from somebody that you care about, instead of just hitting like and moving on with your day, reach out to that person and say, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Do you wanna come over for dinner? Uh, are you available to meet for coffee? It's been a while since we caught up. You're free to jump on the phone later tonight. Um, that's the thing that I want you to try. I hope that, that tonight's conversation will spur that change in thinking for you. So with that, I'm gonna introduce uh, our featured guest, Lincoln. So uh, Lincoln Fowler is a Milwaukee native. He graduated from Marquette High School, and then he left to attend Middlebury College in Vermont, but he came back. Uh, he and his brother Ward started a company together, and that company was not Colectivo, um, it was actually a speaker company called Fowler Audio, and that venture failed, unfortunately, but it led to an introduction to their business partner, Paul Miller. And the three of them founded Collectivo Coffee in 1993, and they now have uh, 21 cafes in three cities, a wholesale roasting plant, and a rapidly growing bakery. Since the beginning, Collectivo has been sourcing coffees from origin and roasting every batch by hand. Because of their relationships with growers, their dedication to quality, their love of craft, Colectivo is able to create a uniquely great coffee experience. And this is just me editorializing now, I think really a great offline experience for humans overall. Um, so please join me in welcoming Lincoln Fowler to Offline. So Lincoln, is your phone off? My phone is at least silent. All right, that's good. I think I left my phone on. So first I'm gonna take a picture of all of you and then I'm gonna turn it off. Look alive. <laughs> so why did you start a coffee company? We love coffee. <laughs> That's a good answer. It's a good reason to do something. Wow. Um, I, I, <laughs> a fundamental question. Uh, it, partly it was because we loved coffee. We actually uh, connected with my partner, Paul, uh, listening to, to music uh, through our loudspeakers, but also drinking coffee. Um, back then, uh, we were... Uh, working 
a ton of hours uh, at this unsuccessful loudspeaker company. Um, and when a company is unsuccessful, it obviously doesn't generate money, it consumes it. Uh, so since I can't live on the non-money that's coming out of this failing company, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm working extra hours uh, behind a bar. I was a terrible bartender. Um, but uh, if you add all that up, that means you don't have a whole lot of time for sleep. Uh, and entrepreneurism is a, it's a young person's game. Uh, I could not do what I did then today, uh, but uh, even then I was a little sleepy. Uh, and the coffee was a critical component and a very utilitarian one. Um, but that's how the three of us got together and, uh, and it was a, 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 not just a passion for coffee, and clearly that's in the center of things, but we really, um, I think for those of you that are familiar with the cafes, you see that we do a lot of things that are not necessarily just about great coffee. I mean, the bakery is an obvious one. That's you know that's kind of a, an accessory to the coffee. Um, but you know that the the furniture that we build and the cafe environments that we build, a lot of that is we recognize its importance to the business, but it's also because we just like to try to do something really really well, and that's whether it's coffee sourcing or baked goods or uh, we manufacture our own outdoor furniture or the cafe environments or the way we employ and, and the, the culture that we've built. We, we're just driven to do it really, really well. Um, and the speakers were great, by the way. Um, <laughs> they just, we didn't know how to sell them. Uh, but anyway, that's, that's kind of why. Yeah. So, um, you know, I go to your cafes a lot and it seems like they're kind of this, this, ideal third place you know they're not they're not home they're not work they're this place where people are you know people are studying people are working but people are hanging out you know you see like you know groups of of what appear to be old friends neighborhood meetups was was it part of your original desire or goal to create environments for that kind of thing that kind of connection uh, we're really turned on by work and craft and artisanship and I think uh, for those of you that have uh, uh, come to prospect when it was the kind of the dance of commerce that was going on there. I mean, that was wild. There was so much stuff going on there. But our Humboldt facility and our Bayview facility, it's all about work and and allowing people to participate in the work that we do. Um, but I think by extension, that's also about the work that our customers are doing when they're in the cafes and whether that's whether that's work work or whether that's social work or just connecting uh, with with each other. We've always felt like and I think it's true, these cafes serve as kind of these, uh, these connection points in the community, and it's, it is a great third place. Um, what really turns us on, I think, is when we get the kind of uh, mixture of people, and I, my offices are at Humboldt, so I see that cafe and our clientele there frequently, and what's what's super cool is we get everything in there. We get mm -hmm. it's you know from politicians and business people to North Shore moms to local artists, uh, residents of the neighborhood, um, kids and strollers, uh, school kids after school. We just it's this beautiful mixture of people, and uh, and that's when the cafes are doing it, doing what they do well. That's what you see. When that is definitely what I see when I'm in the cafes, but it almost feels like it was. I don't know. It's hard for me to imagine the things that the decisions that went into creating that environment. You know, because I I don't in, I don't design spaces. Uh, so like, can, can you tell us a bit about like how do you create that environment? I mean, it's not as simple as 
as build it and they will come, or or is it? I mean, maybe there was just some great unmet demand for for third places. No, I think uh, there are other coffee businesses, obviously in Milwaukee and obviously in the world. In many of those places, I think it's pretty clear when you walk in, it's not exactly, uh, it's not an invitation for you to sit down and spend a bunch of time. It's, you know, the counters are very thin. They may not have much seating. If they do have seating, it's hard. Um, they really want a transactional approach. They want you to come in and buy your product and get out. Um, and that's never been our view of kind of what our places want to be, and that's why they are built the way they are. Uh, we, we want people to feel welcome. Um, we don't want you to feel like you have to have uh, the secret password, uh, that you, you have to be an expert in single-origin coffees and, a, and an accomplished taster to participate in what we do. Uh, we want everybody to feel like they can come in and find a place that, that is comfortable for them. So There are a lot of cafes that feel like they're sort of a a shrine to fancy coffee. Oh yeah, yeah. and that's I, we we call that precious. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and and we we don't like precious. Um, we we're really internally we call ourselves socialist capitalists because um, <laughs> we're we definitely love you know running a great business and we love generating cash and use, having the the power of that to drive your business forward. But um, my partner Paul, I mean. And there are others that are socialists in the organization, but it's their, their approach, their approach to how we want the cafes to perform is it, it definitely is about community and about uh, everybody. Yeah. So I mean, on that on that count, you know, and creating these community spaces, have you been successful? I yes, I think yeah. by and large we have. Um, I think there are there are challenges. I you know there are as as you guys know the cafes they're comfortable. We welcome you, and sometimes we welcome the same person for four or five hours on end. Yeah. Uh, and so that's sometimes there are challenges that way. We need to find places for the new people that are coming in the door to sit down. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, that's a good problem to have. Uh, we're not uh, complaining about that, but uh, I think uh, I think we just want the cafes to, to be a welcoming, connective spot, connective tissue for the community. Yeah. I wonder about things like, you know, it's you have great Wi-Fi, you have places to plug in a computer or whatever, and obviously people people study there and people work at your cafes. How do you balance, like, that versus sort of more, I guess, what I would think of as more true and pure human-to-human -human connection, because you don't want to have a room of people just sort of being alone together, right? They're physically in the same space, but they're not actually together. Yeah, right? there's a lot of that that goes yeah. on, though. I mean, yeah. you know, and I'm guilty myself. I'll, I'll go downstairs at Humboldt and order my lunch and sit down at the bar, and the first thing that's in my hand is my phone, and I'm strolling, scrolling across various news feeds. Well, uh, there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, yeah. but if, if everybody's doing it, then... Yeah, yeah I, we want... I mean, we, we, we sponsor a lot of events that occur in our cafes, and yeah. those... Those drive a, a level of uh, yeah. inter interaction, and uh, if anybody's been to the back room uh, at Prospect, um, that's a really fabulous, uh, engaged place for music, and it's a really intimate uh, venue where I think you get a, a musical experience, which is which is very different from a, a large scale uh, in environment. Uh, yeah. So I, we do a lot of that. I mean, we turn the Wi-Fi off, much to people's chagrin, huh. uh, on certain in certain cafes on certain days uh, because we're like, you know, we don't we don't need that going on. We got other stuff to do here. Yeah. Uh, and that's the 
the outgrowth of that is people they don't have that ability to just check out. Um, yeah. So it's actually pretty interesting when we when we do that. Do you see people who are who are at a cafe, you know, maybe doing something alone, working, whatever, who then sort of stay when the cafe turns into you know offline, you know performance mode or whatever, do people sort of go through that transition with you or is it a, a different crowd that sort of swaps out? I think it's mostly a different yeah. crowd. I think at Prospect, if the people are in the cafe and like they're going into a sound check into the back room, people kind of freak out. Um, <laughs> and we haven't quite figured out yeah. how to kind of make manage that transition quite right yet. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's a different crowd. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, as somebody who thinks a lot about how you know, environments and how sort of different um, features encourage people to, to interact or, or to be together. If you, if you had a magic wand and you could create kind of the perfect space for connection and, and belonging, what would that look like? Mm. Maybe uh, you already made it. I don't know. We, we got pretty yeah, close. Yeah. Uh, the, well, we, we had an opportunity at, uh, 68th and Wells in Wauwatosa, uh, and we took down a building and had a, I don't know, it's a, about, it's less than an acre, but anyway, we got to build yeah. a cafe. Oh, cool. So it's this purpose built yep. building, uh, and it has a lot of the things that we want. Uh, it has, it has a number of separate spaces. It has, uh, one of the rooms, uh, is loaded with garage doors and in the nice weather, all of them are up. So yeah. that room is all the protected from the elements. It's like being outdoors, but still being indoors. Yeah. Um, and then you can kind of move more outdoors and you're under a, under a, a kind of a canopy covering where the fire pit is. Um, so, but, and then if you move all the way outdoors, you're, it's this kind of gradation of seating from indoors to outdoors and yeah. from busy spaces and service spaces into uh, private cozy spaces. And it's, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I haven't been there, but based on your description, I, I, I want to check it out. We're very proud of that cafe. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> um, so. When I think I, I was doing some some reading, some of the, the interviews that you've done and things like that, and, and I came across a, um, a line from you that I thought was really, really interesting. And you said, and it was in the context of a long thing, and you said, we, meaning the, the Collectivo Cafes, I, I think, or maybe the company more broadly, you can tell me, but you said, we are knitted into the community. And I was wondering if you could talk about what you meant by that and how how like what are the specific things that you've done to to knit yourself in well i part of it is self-evident i mean the cafes are this connection point so it's they operate very locally um, yeah. these cafes typically do um and so some of it is just being what we are which is yeah. this connection point but there's there's internal stuff that we that we've done as well that has been very intentional uh and we actually in business parlance, there are uh, profit centers and then there are cost centers. Uh, profit centers obviously generate revenue. Cost centers are just sucking up revenue. They're, 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 you're just pouring money down a hole. Uh, and hopefully that money you're pouring down that hole is going to somehow support the profit centers. Um, but there's a cost center that we that's optional for us. Uh, and we employ a person whose job is pretty much solely to engage with the community, with all of our, the nonprofit groups that we connect with. Yeah. Um, so there's a very intentional, um, uh, it's, a, it's a cost to the company, it's something we, we believe deeply in, 
uh, and all that person's job is only to reach out and connect with all of the all of the groups in our communities. Yeah. So when we when we say knitted into our communities, yeah. l- let me tell you a short. I'll try to keep it very short. Story we hosted at Humboldt when that building was complete. Uh, our general contractor Dalman Construction was about to celebrate their 100th anniversary, which is pretty cool. Uh, and they said, could we, could we close the cafe and, and could you host us for our 100th anniversary? We were like, absolutely, totally, go for it. So we closed the cafe and all these, of course, subcontractors and architects and designers and engineers and all these people are coming. And credit to him, uh, our, the architect that we fired for the Humboldt project, we did not use him, showed up. <laughs> into a building that he got fired off the design pro- program. Just a really good ego, this guy. <laughs> and and he, he sat down and he was, you know, engaging with us and appreciating the building. We gave him a tour and he was very complimentary. Um, and Bill, Bill Robeson, uh, who works at Engberg Anderson, uh, said that one of the things I really like about you guys is whenever I'm out in the community, the things I go to, the events that I want to participate in, you're there too. So the things that I find important, me personally, Bill, you guys are also finding important and are out there supporting. And so that's just, that is the outgrowth of, of, of Ramey, our community relations person, mm-hmm. just constantly pushing out there and trying to figure out how can we engage in this event and that event and this thing and that thing and it's so those those are very intentional moves on our part yeah yeah that's cool um so you are a a tech enthusiast um uh how does i mean i'll start with a very broad question which is how how does technology fit into all the stuff that we're talking about well there's 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 Enthusiasm for social media and uh-huh. connection, and then there's what I actually like, which yeah. is like hardware and, and automating things. Sure. Um, so the I, I am a tech enthusiast, but it's, I don't make the mistake of thinking that I'm uh, enthusiastic about uh, software and Facebook. Yeah. Uh, that's that that's not the program. Let the record reflect. <laughs> uh, so I mean, I, I guess um, one thing that that. When we were preparing for this, we were trading a few emails, and you you said that um, you are a a news junkie, so you you read a lot of news, so you're sort of interacting with with certain types of you know highly connected, distributed software systems. But you also said that you don't personally use any social media. Um, is that a is that a deliberate philosophy that you have, or or something else? Uh, I just I kind of just broadly object to the whole Facebook thing. I, 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 I just, it rubs me the wrong way. So I know it, it serves great utility for certain people. Uh, I just avoid it like the plague. Uh, it's not totally true I don't engage in social media. I, the company's on Instagram, so yeah. I need to see what's going on there. And then, of course, I get to populate uh, with a few interesting accounts uh, like uh, uh, Hall of Meat. Uh, that's, a, that's a good <laughs> one. That's, that's uh, grizzly skatebook video, skateboard videos. Um, or Jerry of the Day, that's a popular one. Subway Creatures, I can recommend, uh, also good. Um, so there's some good stuff there, a little bit of entertainment during the day. Uh, yeah. But I, I think the, the fundamental is I am a, a little bit of a news junkie. I was disappointed, actually, our, our paper delivery person had become so unreliable that our seven-day-a-week New York Times subscription, we, I called him up and because the paper was like arriving at 8.30 or so in the morning, and we're like, we're, 
we're gone. And by the time I come home in the evening, I've already read all the news. So I, I so we had to cancel the, the, the daily delivery. Yeah. But it's, you know, I try to um, spread my consumption. I like uh, news aggregators like uh, Google News uh, and Flipboard and uh, a couple of other programs that I can, so I'm not just channeled into, I mean, it's probably no secret here, I'm on the left end of the spectrum, um, but the I don't want to channel myself into purely uh, left-leaning. I, I be, I've become very sensitive to uh, the, and it's not necessarily slanting the news, but I've become very sensitive to particular news channels and the story selection yeah. It's not necessarily the reporting. Right. It's just the question of what they're actually, what stories are they choosing to put on the page? And yeah. it's, it's, it definitely leans you one way or the other. Yeah. So working through a whole lot of news sources, whether that's uh, like Gizmodo on the, you know, or Engadget or some of the, the techie stuff, or whether it's the Times or Washington Post or Politico or, you know, uh, you know there's, a, there's a whole litany of, of, of Things, but I want to make sure my news consumption is reasonably balanced, yeah. uh, so that I'm not just uh, uh, taking somebody's party line. Yeah. C can you say more about your your opposition to Facebook? I'm very like a lot of people don't like Facebook, and a lot of people wish they used it less. But few people are as uh, strident in their their opposition to it. You know, I forget the exact words, but it was something like I'm fundamentally opposed to it. And so I'm, I'm just curious to hear more about that. Uh, I think Facebook is what is emblematic of the, of what technology can do to people in terms yeah. of consuming their time. Yeah. Uh, and also I, I, I think one of the reasons I've really become so uh, it's become so objectionable to me is the 2016 election and the, the, very poor control and management of the news that people were consuming. I think it's really fundamentally, I talk to my brother and my partner Paul about this all the time, that if you are not careful about the news you're consuming, you cannot act as an informed citizen. Uh, and I think it is actually somewhat fundamentally threatening to our democracy that if people are consuming news that is being manipulated to the degree that it can be in social media feeds, uh, I, I have concerns about kind of the long-term viability of the republic. Yeah. Well, uh, you mentioned not to be too dramatic. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you mentioned the 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 differences in story selection, and it's you know it, it, sometimes it feels like if you look at a different newspaper or you flip on a different news channel or a different website, it's like they're reporting on a different world. You know, and, and totally. Facebook takes that to an extreme degree, where it's it's what what their software believes the version of the world is that you want to see. Yeah, well, when I get out of here tonight, I got to go strap on my AR-15 and get to that pizza parlor where the pedophiles are in the basement, <laughs> right. you know, and Hillary Clinton. And, like, I I mean, but it is, it, it, we all laugh, and it is funny, but it is, dude, it actually did that. Right. People are actually believing this stuff. So uh, that is terribly distressing to me. Yeah. And so did you, did you, kind of experience some of that, I don't know, that, uh, that angst or that discomfort your, yourself, or did you choose to avoid Facebook entirely from the beginning? No, I've never really participated. Yeah. So it's just never made a whole lot of sense to me. Do you feel like, um, does Instagram push those same buttons for you, or is that 
it's that different. I don't, I don't spend that much time on it. I, I occasionally, I mean, I enjoy the the skateboard videos and stuff. Yeah. But, um, I, it's, it's not like I'm chewing up a whole bunch of time there. I don't invest enough time to actually figure out what feeds that I should be like dialed into that then I could actually burn up two or three hours a day scrolling through right. Instagram. I just, that's not what I'm doing. Right. Well, and that seems, that's one of the, I think that's one of the big differences in, in the, the model of those two different platforms. Facebook is sort of, even if you never follow anything, you, it's going to show you stuff. Um, Instagram is, you know, uh, is based on the idea that you opt in to what you're interested in. And so it's, it sounds like you've kind of, you've used that model to create a version of that particular um, app, which does ca cause problems for some people, but for you, it's just a source of, of joy. Yeah, I think it's, uh, Instagram is just a much more civilized uh, piece of software. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, maybe you're not looking in the right corners. <laughs> or the wrong corners. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah. Does anybody have any questions for Lincoln? Yeah, over here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause you, and I'm going to say it into the microphone so it gets on the recording. So the first part of the question was whether you have a persona in mind when you're designing uh, one of your, your cafes. And the second part of the question was, was if, if um, you know, can you share what, you know, at a very zoomed-in level, what was that experience of creating for the first time that first cafe and, you know, having people come and, and hang out there? Well, for the first part question, the answer is no. Um, I think, and I think that I don't want to... The, what I said before about wanting RK, you don't need the secret password to get in the cafes. We want you to feel welcomed in the cafes. And when the cafes are working their best, they have all kinds of different people in them. That is that is really what we're trying to accomplish. So we're not catering to millennials and we're not catering to the, the over 60 set. That's, that's, you know, that's not how we calculate that stuff. Um, uh, I credit a good liberal arts education uh, for being able to transition from loudspeaker manufacturing to coffee roasting. Uh, being able to address a problem and f you know, analytically work through the process of how do I solve this is really what that's all about. Um, but uh, sure, we, we screwed things up. The first cafe, a lot of people think it was Prospect, it was actually the Bayshore Cafe, which has now been rebuilt three times. Mm. Um, but that was so poorly executed that the freezer where the smoothies were kept, um, I had not really laid out the counter right, and the door would only open about 30% of the way because it <laughs> ran into something else. And the dishwasher we got, we were assured it was a pump-out dishwasher, but it was actually a gravity-drained dishwasher, and that caused all kinds of problems with the plumbing. Uh, that cafe flooded regularly. Um, <laughs> So um, it was not, from a physical standpoint, it was not all perfect. Um, and we have, you know, obviously evolved. Even, you know, if you've been with us long enough, you've seen an evolution in the aesthetic in the cafes. And it's, it continues. We're never, my partner Paul especially is a, um, he's like a, a nervous cat when it comes to like how we're, what, the, what a, the imagery is, what the art is, what the cafes are, what, you know, just he's always innovating and changing. And most companies, you know, they want to create a single logo type and they want to lock that puppy up and whenever you see our brand, you're going to see it this way and like Paul's all over the place. We've got 37 different logos out there and you know, he's like, whatever, you know, and people come and want to buy that t-shirt and he's like, no, sorry, gone. We're moving on to the next t-shirt. <laughs> so I, it's, um, so anyway, it's, we're, that's, you know, that's, that's that kind of, it's not just nervous energy, but it's, it's the, we want to 
I think Paul thinks, and I think we all think this, is when you stand still in business, especially in retail, you're going to die. Uh, so it is a constant moving forward in innovation process. We're, we, we talk about it internally as a, a, a constant uh, improvement. Some of the uh, things that you were saying about not having a persona remind me of some of the, the work, the writing of Seth Godin, who's like a marketing guru, I guess. And he talks about brands and about marketing as being these things that naturally attract people who care about the same stuff. So even if you don't, you know, even if you don't have this really clear sense of, oh, our ideal customer is 42 years old and drives this kind of car and whatever, all that typical persona stuff, there's such a clear brand in what in everything that you do, which is which is expressed by the physical environment, but also by the 37 logos and the t the rotating you know uh, t-shirts and so on, that people I think they self-identify as being part of whatever that special Colectivo persona is. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, the question was about what's next for Colectivo. Uh, uh, you get the inside track here. Um, we won't do this publicly, uh, but the we just had <laughs> we just had our annual quarterly meeting. Um, that was a joke. Um, I got it. The, Thanks. Thank you. Uh, but at the annual quarterly, uh, we we decided it was important to kind of readdress that particular issue. What is next? Because now the company is about 650 some odd people. We're in three different cities. Communicating has always been a challenge for us. It's, the challenge is only getting worse. So these open quarterly meetings are, everybody can come uh, and just hear about what's actually going on. So we decided we needed to lay out a vision for the next five years. Uh, uh, some may know we are in the midst of constructing a, a large bakery commissary facility in Chicago, about 18,000 square feet, which is bigger than the Bayview facility. Um, uh, and when you build a bakery commissary that's that big, you got to fill it up real fast. Um, <laughs> so there is a vision for Chicago that includes a footprint uh, of Colectivos that is at least as big and probably bigger than what we have in Milwaukee. So there are 13 or 14 cafes in the Milwaukee area, so that's clearly going to be at least that many in Chicago, probably more. Uh, Chicago has a bevy of neighborhoods and areas that you can locate, so we know we're going we're gonna to do that. We're going to continue to give Milwaukee some love. There's some opportunity here where we can expand and grow what we're doing. Uh, and Madison the same way. There are only three cafes in Madison. Madison, actually, for those that were wondering, I'm sure you were all up late at night wondering about this question, <laughs> uh, but the Madison thing was really an experiment to figure out Chicago. Uh, we had wow. to understand uh, how many cafes we needed in a place to be viable, uh, what it was like to translate our culture from one city to another, what was it going to take to do the logistics of supplying that cafe. Uh, coffee is relatively easy. We deliver it once a week. Bakery is trouble. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not only every day, but it's also overnight. Mm -hmm. um, so when all of us, and fortunately I'm not driving that truck, uh, but when we're sleeping at night, there are vehicles that are departing from the Bayview facility full of baked goods and, and coffee and going to all of the cafes that we service. So driving to Madison, driving to Chicago, making drops you know, from about midnight all the way to about four in the, four in the morning. So uh, Madison was that experiment to figure out how we were going to support Chicago effectively. Not that we don't love Madison, it's fabulous. We love our cafes there, but uh, it was, that's, that's how that worked. 
another thing that, that you have going on, and I don't know how personal this is versus professional, um, is you're involved in uh, co-working space um, called Worklofts, which is on the east side. Is there another location, or do they make that up? Uh, there, it's not quite work loss, but the, the first kind of co-working space we did was above um, the Hollander location in oh, Wauwatosa. Okay. Okay. On, on, I believe that's State Street there, uh, at the where Harmony dies into the bridge there. And so we had that third floor space, which we needed to figure out what to do with. Yeah. Uh, so we created a, a working space up there, and we liked it a lot. So we, uh, when we purchased the Deco Fuel building yeah. uh, on the east side, which is the Tootsie Roll building. Some people think of it that way. That was an old uh, bill-paying place for the utilities. Uh, uh, we had to figure out what to do with that second floor. Uh, so it's now a, a really nice co-working space that I believe uh, you occupy on occasion. Yeah, that's true. Um, is So is that just a... A real estate investment or is that tied into sort of you know your purpose and your mission um uh, this is not a mission driven project this is this is mostly a straight ahead real estate investment um yep. the, the the uh i mean what the way we do it is definitely like us i mean yeah. if you go up to the co-working space it's totally fabulous it's really beautiful um, uh, it all has, you know, all custom light fixtures and custom furniture, and, yeah. and we did some really beautiful stuff up there. Um, but uh, the whole real estate thing kind of got going. We invest so heavily in the cafes, it pains us to make those investments in buildings that we don't own. Um, so it's not universally true, but when we can, we want to own the real estate. It not only we're making those investments in our own building, but also it guarantees a certain degree of lease security. Um, so that we can occupy those places for a long, long time. Uh, but in the process of doing those, we developed a relationship with our friend Sean Phelan, who you know. Mm -hmm. uh, Sean is a local developer, Phelan Development, uh, and Sean and the three of us at Colectivo work together on certain real estate transactions. Yeah. The question was about employee experience. We've talked a lot about um, customers and community, but but how do you um, how do you take care of employees? How do you make sure that turnover is low, that people uh, care about the company and want to stay for a long time? Uh, very good questions, especially right now. Uh, uh, employment is at a very high level. The pickings are relatively slim. Uh, wage pressure is constantly being pushed up. Uh, so those are these are these are salient and present questions. Um, the uh, we've always thought very hard about our role as employers. Uh, we always wanted to be. You know, and Paul really championed this early on. Uh, he wanted to, you know, there were things that you could mess with, but you can't mess with the paychecks. Um, people need to be paid on time, every time. Uh, we were very early to develop uh, uh, internal health insurance. Uh, there are a number of companies out there that just don't do that anymore. Uh, so uh, we uh, fund aggressively empl uh, employer match into the 401k that we run. Um, those are some of the basic, you know, blocking and tackling, but, uh, there's also, and we see this a lot, especially with our younger, uh, participants in, the, in our workforce is that they really, while they want to get paid, of course, and they want to have health insurance and they want to save for retirement, they want to learn. Uh, and so our training department, we have a department that is staffed with people that train up, uh, you know, mostly in the, in the coffee world. But then there are things we call lightning rods, and these are coffee experts in each of the cafes. So there are opportunities to become very, very uh, educated in terms of 
coffee. There's also the food ambassadors that we have who are similar to the lighting rods in that they're, they're, they're foodies, you know, and they want, they want to, they want to get educated on food. So there are a variety of initiatives we have to, uh, give people that training and to give them more skills. Uh, I think, uh, we're not perfect though, but you know, far and away, not perfect. Uh, we know we need to improve things. So we need a better program to develop our managerial talent. Uh, and better uh, uh, capacity to develop higher level, uh, uh, senior level people. Um, skills of managing people, uh, skills of uh, tactically attacking initiatives, taking responsibility. These are things that we're, that's right now in the conversation. Cool. Um, we're just about out of time. So I wanna ask you one more question, which is about Milwaukee. Um, you are, you know, you've lived almost your entire life in Milwaukee. The, it's interesting to think about you and hear about you expanding into other cities because to me, Collectivo is so connected to Milwaukee. And I'm curious, are there things about this place, this city, whether it's cultural things or, or elements of the physical environment or, or social structures that make Milwaukee a good place or a bad place to do some of the things that we've been talking about, to feel like you can connect to other people, feel like you're a part of a community, feel like you belong. Where does Milwaukee sort of stack up on that stuff? That's a good one. I think it's it stacks really well uh, in, in that this is a city where you can get connected quickly to whether that's people or professionals or government, and in our case, government is critical. You know, all of the, all of the from the building permits to the health department to all of the, the pieces of city government that we need to interface with. Let me tell you, working in Chicago is a totally different program. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I've, I've always sung the praises, although we get frustrated sometimes, but uh, Milwaukee is a, an accessible city from that mm -hmm. perspective. Um, it also has such a great uh, uh, history and culture of artisanship. I think the craft uh, of what we do is very um, uh, easily connected into people's heads. I mm -hmm. think they understand it at a somewhat granular kind of fundamental level. Um, so I think working here has been has been great, and it's also it's a city where you can I think you can get noticed fairly quickly if you do great work. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, uh, other cities, you know, if you're working in some of the coastal cities or, or even in Chicago. Getting noticed is is like half the battle. Yeah. Uh, so I think this was a great uh, 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 place for us to develop uh, as a young young company, mm -hmm. uh, and now we're fortunate to have enough scale that we can take this to, to other yeah. places. Cool. Well, thanks a lot, Lincoln. Really appreciate your time, and uh, thanks to all of you for being here. Thank you. Thank you.